This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. There are some musicians who can create an atmosphere so rare in sensitivity that we are all drawn into a realm of almost mystical quality. An entry to another world of a dialogue between performer and composer that sheds a new light on the musical language at hand. We have seen this in the pianist Radu Lupu, a performer who dares to resist recordings and interviews. In his world on stage, and oftentimes those stages are small and carefully chosen by him for being off the grand stage circuit, he can create an atmosphere that demands attention to say, the live performance is king. He leaves the phrases in the air, and then it is gone. It is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And with a lack of recording equipment around, he is asking his audience that the moment is simply caught in their memory. My guest today bears a resemblance to the ambiance created by Radu Lupu. Many of her venues are small and intimate, like the Faust Harrison Hall. But into that intimacy, she brings a torrent of sheer physicality and sublime sensitivity to her playing. Beth Levin, a child prodigy who made her debut with the Philadelphia Orchestra at age 12, has lived by her own rules in her performing career. Her impeccable technical skill has been honed by teachers Marion Filar, Rudolf Serkin, Leonard Schur, and Dorothy Taubman. She is respectful in her accolades to each mentor for the sharing of their particular gifts, but the one constant that was shared by those titans of the piano was to establish the strength within Beth Levin to find her own voice through the keyboard. Beth is renowned for her ability to find the voice between the notes of what each composer is attempting to say. And like Radolupu, she conjures up an almost mystical approach to her music, making inviting the audience in to an experience that is at once most holy and also thrilling. I look at the titles of her recordings, Bright Circle, with the music of Schubert, Brahms, and David del Tredici, and Last Breath, with performances of Beethoven's last three sonatas, and I feel that I know her intentions. She serves the music, and the framework is the boundary of the recording. Unabashedly romantic in her playing, she is renowned for her interpretations of Beethoven and championing modern music. And I am thrilled to introduce to you now Beth Levin, who is sitting beside me ready to unleash this tempestuous spirit of hers in this interview. Good morning, Beth. Oh, hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm so glad and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so thrilled much. to have you here. Oh, thank you. Because indeed, now you are a titan of the keyboard. <laughs> Would you agree? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh. I mean, I think I go for very large challenges. I'll say that for you myself. You do, Beth. You know, I, I'm always trying to climb the next mountain mm-hmm. with programs. Can I, you know, it's interesting because this is one interview I've done without hearing you play live, all right? I've listened to your recordings. I've read about you. I've read your own interviews, which are rather extraordinary, I have to say. And I have a feeling, in my mind, that you are a real, believe it or not, goddess figure. <laughs> I, I, look, I listen to you, and I oh, think you're yeah. somewhere between Athena and Venus, you know? You, you're, you're a warrior, and and uh-huh. you're you're a lover of the soul. Am, mm. am I close? Am I on the right track? Um, well, 
I mean, someone was saying to me the other day that I, I go deep. I think I really do. I remember um, when I was a little girl, I wanted to go deeply into one thing because I really thought if I do that, I'll find a lot of answers, even to things that have nothing to do with music. So I think I have, you know, I do, soulful may be a good word. Oh, there's no doubt about that, Beth. Did you grow up in a musical family? Oh, gosh. Well, not per se, but my father loved music, and I remember sometimes he we had a large upright in the basement, <laughs> and he'd come downstairs and sing, and I would accompany him. Or Whenever I played, he was just so responsive, and he was kind of um, someone who understood the art so well and we'd he'd you know we'd be sitting in the car and he would just play for me a lot of classical music mm -hmm. even just you know going to a lesson or something and then turn off when they said who who the performer was or who the composer was and he would teach me that way you know this is Bach this is Chopin uh, because I'd have to learn which was which and could you go to the piano then and replicate what you heard? Oh, I did that to a degree. I mean, I, I think I, I made up music. I, when I was small, um, the main thing was that we had a bench filled with music. So at an early age, you know, we had Bach and everything, and I got kind of hooked really early by just reading through, say, the Preludes and Fugues. Really, they probably just. You know, that was it for me after that. Oh, we had a lot of music, and um, it was kind of a place I would go to just to create my own world. Were you an only child? No, but my brother is eight years older. Right. So, you know, he's uh, he was kind of out and doing his own thing. So you really had this, this special place for yourself that you yeah, could... Yeah, in a, in a way, yeah. Were you, I, because when I listen to your music, I feel that you were really working out music's innermost secrets. Were, mm. were you doing it in an early age, quite naturally? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think that I always try to just let things come to me. I, I'm mm -hmm. not really one to, like, let's say when I was working on the Hamaclavier, I didn't rush and read everything about it or listen to other people. I just kind of let it happen, you know, and gradually you do see interesting things about the music, you yes, know, you, you sort of let it be a little bit. And you bring up the hammer clavier. What a piece. <laughs> Maybe one of Beethoven's most challenging pieces for piano. I, I suppose it is, of course. Although I think when you're working on it, you don't you don't think that. You know, <laughs> other people will say, you know, oh my God, I'm a clavier, and and a, but when you're working on it, it's it's just like anything else, you know. That's that's amazing, and we're going to hear it this Sunday, I yes. believe, at a concert you're doing in Stamford, Connecticut, right? At right. three p.m. at the Fish Church in Stamford, the Hammer Clavier, clavier will be your second half. Yes. And then the first half is Handel. Yes, yes. How interesting. Why the Handel? Right. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I think it's actually hard to find things that go well with the Hamaclavier. And um, it kind it, of stands alone, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, what to play with it. But somehow the, 
the handle does work well. For one thing, you know, uh, Beethoven was trying to write the most amazing fugue mm-hmm. ever written, you know, and and there's a lot of uh, fugal writing in the handle. The handle is very free also. It's kind of very different, say, than a Bach uh, suite. Mm-hmm. It it has a lot of um, room to to kind of express it uh, individually, and so it just seemed to be the right thing. Wow! So this center of uh, uh, maybe the center of counterpoint that Handel was establishing was passed on to the composers. You know, thereafter, um, do you think this is a kind of firmament? Oh, I think you know. Beethoven adored Handel. There's another obvious connection. connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He adored him. So, um, yes, there's definitely a link. So I want us to hear a little bit of your music right now. We're, gonna, we're going to make a bit of a right turn, and we're going to hear Schubert right now in the first movement of the D minor sonata. So, Beth Levin, when did you know you wanted to become a performer? Oh, my. Yeah, that's that's a hard question somehow for me. Um, because it seemed almost like fun and a game for such a long time. It almost took me getting to Curtis. And I remember walking in and seeing everyone practicing for hours. <laughs> I was a little bit like, what, what are they doing? <laughs> because it had been so natural up till then and so much fun, you know. And then I realized, oh, my, this is serious. You know, this really is serious now. And um, slowly I, you know, I, I started to, of course, play more and more. Mm-hmm. And especially at Marlborough, we had wonderful tours and um, and – it it be, you know it became my life it became my life but i think i didn't actually sit down and say i'm i'm going to be a pianist it right. just all happened it just developed it yeah. was just it, your it, it natural was very organic yes i right. love this so now that we're talking about curtis we have to speak about studying with with the great rudolf serkin right well that for me too was oh it was sort of like walking in to see god you know <laughs> 
every week and um, every week well some would you know <laughs> give anything for that kind of audience with god i love it well looking back of course it was you know an incredible opportunity and experience and and then also he he taught at marlboro as well in the summer mm-hmm. and i almost preferred that where he was more relaxed and funny and right, um, right, right. you know but uh curtis was it was interesting for me. It was so different than what I'd been used to. And, I mean, I still have good friends from there and, um, you know, people I've, I've played with over the years. So it was just a marvelous thing. So that was your uh, real first firmament outside of playing for fun and just letting the natural progression well, take place. I mean, my teacher in Philadelphia, um, Marianne Fillar, mm-hmm. had prepared me very, very well to play with the Philadelphia Orchestra when I was 12 and 16. And, and what did you play in, oh, in, in that concert uh, at age 12? Um, Mozart. Mozart. Um, love it. C major concerto and then later on Beethoven third in C minor. Later um, on the Beethoven. Yes, yes. Well, that's a big jump. <laughs> How many years later was that? Oh, yeah. four, uh, five years later. Only five years, yeah. and look where you had come. Wow. Right, but again, you know, it was so um, not taken for granted, but he he was a marvelous teacher as well, mm-hmm. um, Marianne Fular, and we were like his kids, and he would mm-hmm. just sort of prepare us, and he was, he would always be talking to my parents, and everything was kind of downplayed so you weren't really nervous. Overwhelmed. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. But they were amazing experiences, you know, to do as a How young person. How fortunate for you that you were not overwhelmed at that point in your no, development. No, 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 not we've, at all. We've heard about this many times on Center Stage. You know, it's so important, the teacher as a youth for, you know, the prodigies like yourself. So had you played for Sirkin before you went to Curtis? Oh, only in an audition. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, when I was accepted, I just, you know, I had actually applied other places, but I knew that's where I would go. Yeah. That's so <laughs> exciting. Uh, Curtis is, is, is a movement in, in the world of music, really. And, um, and so after Curtis? Then I went to Leonard Shore, who I had heard so much about. And Leonard Shore and, and Sirkin had a lot in common, really. really? Uh-huh. I mean, in a way, I was well prepared for Shore by having studied with Sirkin. Um, Shore was, he was such an interesting teacher in that he never told you how to do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that he wanted you to figure it to out. Really you couldn't develop. just say, how do I do that? He would never, you know, it had to be a process of finding out. And uh, it was so interesting. And hearing him play was just wonderful. I mean, if it had just been listening to him play, you could learn so much. And then listening to other uh friends have their lessons you know it was just and lots of chamber music he also was just a tremendous chamber music coach Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he um really lived that music and his ideas were you know his ideas were very structural and for a young player that was so good for me because Mm -hmm. I tended to be all feeling and you know passion and here it was like wait, you have to make sense, you know, you have to really know what you're doing. And so it was great. Wow. So would you say for you, 
it is it the process of finding the music and really digesting it, or is it the performance mm. that means more to you? Oh boy, that's interesting to to try to answer. I mean, the process means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the performance seems like something completely different, and you know it's coming and it's out there, but. So the process is just very, it's a lot of preparation, but you know it's got almost nothing to do with the end in a, in a certain way. I know, it is. You know, it's it just it's something true. else. And I think that's one of the reasons when I spoke about Rado Lupu at the beginning, where he doesn't want any recording devices, really. And I get the impression he feels that it's going to affect the spontaneity mm. of his performance. Oh, Would I you agree with that. that? I respect that. A great deal. Um, I know the great conductor, Chalabadaki, hated to be recorded, mm-hmm. probably for similar reasons uh, and, and, and other reasons to do with um, commercial recording. But And I used to just love the idea, really just love that the music would go out into the atmosphere. And that was fine for me. I just love that idea. And to then kind of trap it into a recording, I didn't like. But, you know, I've changed over the years, and I I, I see the beauty of recording something as well. And then, of course, if you go to YouTube and you find great vintage recordings, mm-hmm. you're so grateful that they exist, mm-hmm. you know. So it is good to record, but I, I still empathize with people who just want it to live then and not not be um, recorded. Now, fairly early in your career, you decided that you wanted to have a family. Oh, yeah. You, you wanted to be a normal person. <laughs> and, you know, this is hard for some musicians to achieve. Was this a mm-hmm. conscious choice on your, on your part, or was it just like going to the piano? It was just a natural progression. Uh, well, close to that. I mean, somehow in my mind, having cho- be, you know, being a pianist and having children were two very magical things mm-hmm. that I knew I mm-hmm. wanted very, very much. Uh, and my husband was a great lover of music, and it all seemed to feel like, okay, this maybe this will work, you know, because he <laughs> he kind of loved music and uh, was very open to the idea of having children right away. And how did you find the balance when you had your kids for your music making, for your own work, your concertizing? Um, Well, again, my husband was wonderful and often just took over. Took over. Fabulous. Um, And then I had a very special woman who lived across the street. I was so lucky. And she uh, sometimes when I just had to do some really serious work, I would take my kids to... um, the woman across the street who was like, well, she was like a second mother. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was very lucky. So how has having a family affected your music making? Oh, gosh, I can't imagine it hasn't helped it. I I never really thought of that. But I mean, I think the more things you experience, Mm -hmm. read, see, go and, you know, absorb, it all goes into the playing. So, you know, I I think it probably helps. Without doubt, I'm sure. Now, Beth Levin, how do you come to a new piece of music? Mm, mm. I mean, well, again, I don't have any preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. I really 
kind of op- I like that. open the score. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I usually read through it and it's almost easy in a way. And then, and then gradually you see what, how hard and the, the challenge is. But in the beginning, it's just sort of, sort of, again, fun reading and uh, reading through things and thinking, can I get serious about this piece? Mm-hmm. You know, is it going to be the one that I really I dive see. into? And does that innermost musical idea come to you when it's the sense of fun? Or or is it later? Or is it sometimes, you know, neither? I, I, I know I'm using the word fun, but that's probably the wrong word. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's... Um, I think it's maybe discovery, you know? Right. Well, the more you discover in the piece, which something like the Hamaglavier, I'm, I'm still discovering. I mean, between now and Sunday, I'm sure there'll be <laughs> things that I change and mm-hmm. that come to mm-hmm. me like, oh, you know, that's what he means, you know. So the discovery is just part of part of it all the time. That's beautiful. So your recording project where you recorded the last Beethoven sonatas. Yeah. And um, you said that actually Beethoven was really trying to speak through these works. What what did you hear in this, really, for yourself, Beth? What what do you think mm. that language was? Oh my goodness! Well, I mean, it always seems to me almost like life and death always seems to be there. You know, it's so uh, he embodies these extremes. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, just in terms of sound, you you need an enormous palette because one minute it's pianissimo and then triple forte. You know he's always uh, playing with extremes, um, and those pieces particularly. I mean, those were the last sonatas. I remember sometimes <clears throat> it sounds cliche, but crying. You know when you th- when I thought of him and being deaf and mm-hmm. writing. 111, I mean, oh, my God. 111 really does just kind of go out into another atmosphere or another world as if he he can see death. Really? And But he's also accepting it, you know. Right. So it's, it's really something to play. 111 in particular is just something that's an experience I wish everyone could have. Playing 111. It's such an interesting project for you to have taken on, and especially for you, Beth Levin, because you're really known for being able to find the turmoil and mm. make sense of it and I, bring it across to us, the audience. Oh, I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, no, those pieces did speak to me. You know, sometimes just someone will say, why don't you play 111 or why don't you play the Hamaclavier? And I'll think, well, usually I'll think, oh, they're crazy, you know, mm-hmm. but then I will go to it and, and take people's advice about what to do next. Um, people who are kind of mentors and, and even mm-hmm. just, just friends will say, why don't you do such and such? And I, you know, why not? I, people sometimes see you better than you see yourself. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. And in that same regard, we are talking about fun along the way here. <laughs> what, what do you do for fun, Beth, <laughs> when you're not making music? Or is music your fun? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think we've established that. Well, I will say 
I listen to so much music, usually more um, singers. Really? I think I've learned more from singers than from pianists. I just adore singers. Like who? Oh, well, um, you know, the woman who just died was so amazing. Um, Montserrat. Montserrat Caballé. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I had just a festival of listening to her the other day. And I think I really did learn a lot. Because Mm -hmm. she had that quality, too, that you can transpose or translate into Beethoven of the absolute, oh, just heartbreaking um, kind of tenderness, tenderness. And then the incredible, you know, grand Mm -hmm. part of the voice. Mm -hmm. So it just I thought to myself, you know, I could even go farther in what I'm doing after I hear her, you know. Um, plus, I mean, the piano, it's just kind of this square thing, you know, <laughs> you just want to sing and you, you don't want to play the piano, per se. That's what I say every day. It's just this square thing. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's a box. singing is so important for every musician to come into it, to be an element. And that's one of the things oh, I, I yes. think about right away when I hear you I think play. prime. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Someone said... Uh, I think even in a review, which is kind of crazy, but they said I sh- I sound like I, I should be a singer. Or, yeah. But, I mean, well, um, I was just thinking of my first teacher, Marianne Folar. He had such a gorgeous singing tone. And if, you know, if there's something I hope I got from him, I got that. Because he was a Chopin, um, you know, great lover of Chopin, and his singing line was, oh... You know, yes, he'd some he'd say, oh "Move over, God. I'll show you how to play." It. And, you know, and you'd say, "Oh, that is better. That is great." And you'd say, "Fine," because you loved his playing so oh, much. Yeah, <laughs> we we all loved him. He was so special. The singing quality, I think, is something that permeates every line of music in a in a piano piece, no matter what the composer. And as you say, some uh, shine more than others. Chopin, definitely. And I remember taking piano lessons in college and my own piano teacher having me sing the inner lines in, in Chopin. It's it's so true. Wow. Wow. So um, we're excited in Fairfield County because we get the advantage of hearing you in concert this Sunday. <laughs> November 4th at the Fish Church. That's 1101 Bedford Street in Stamford at 3 p.m. This concert is managed by the Drozdov Society. And you can find tickets at Eventbrite online. The program is the Handel Suite Number no. Four in D Minor and the Beethoven Sonata Number no. Twenty Nine, the Hammer Clavier. We're going to hear a lot of notes, <laughs> furiously and torrential, with Beth Levin. All right, um, Beth. It's been so divine having you here. You are the goddess of the keyboard, I think. Oh, and thank you. I hope, ladies and gentlemen out there, you w- will go forth and find this concert on Sunday. This is a, an artist of the highest order and not to be missed. Her playing will be a creation that lasts for a moment, but you'll want to be there to be part of the happening. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on center stage. <laughs> 